Pastoral interns, what are they? How do you find one? How do you train them? And how do you get them to make an amazing cup of coffee? On this episode of Rural Pastors Talk. Thank you for joining us for episode number nine of Rural Pastors Talk. My name is TJ Freeman, and I am the lead pastor at Wellsboro Bible Church in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And I am joined today by two of my favorite peeps. Hey, I'm Pastor Joe Wagner. I am the lead pastor at God's Family Fellowship in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And I am Josh McLaren. I'm a pastoral assistant here at Wellsboro Bible Church. TJ, dude, you sound kind of weird. Do I sound Canadian, eh? Yeah, you sound Canadian, and it's really tough to see it. Where do you happen to be right now? I am calling in remotely, thanks to the beauties of the interwebs and technology. And Josh's wizardry. And our and, tech, uh, Rich Medaw. That's true. Uh, shout out to Rich. And I am calling in from White Lake, Ontario. I'm actually on a small island on a medium-sized lake in uh, central Ontario. So you're sitting up there with your Java and the dock and the mist off of the lake and the loons are calling and we're here. That's what you're telling me. I'm- I am primarily sitting here putting on sunscreen and getting hooks out of trees. Oh, excellent. And you can't be caught any big ones yet. There are big fish still in the lake, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, dude. So here's the deal. At God's Family Fellowship, we are just in the very beginnings of starting up a pastoral internship program. The people have bought in. They have a good idea of what that might look like. But now we're to the big giant step of... How do we find one, and how do we do it with a low budget or a no budget and very, very little time? How's it all work? So so you started the internship program here at WBC with no money and almost no time. What were you thinking? Um, well, good question, and I often have asked myself that. But here's what I was thinking. Because the Lord has called me specifically as an individual to make disciples, just as he has all other Christians. And because I'm a pastor, it just seems natural that part of my discipleship would be trying to find other men who may be called into the pastorate and helping them sort of discern that call and then understand what it actually means to be a pastor. So I just had a conviction that this is something that I should be doing personally. And then I shared that with our elders, and they were happy to agree that as a church, we should always be looking for other men who are not currently pastors, who might be in our midst, that the God, that God might be calling into pastoral ministry. That really sounds like a challenge. That, that, that's, like, man, that sounds like a fantastic idea. That sounds like what people would be convicted by, but there's some challenges that are there. Like, yeah. how many yeah. guys did you have to help you, and, and did you set a budget yeah. for it, and things like that? Good, good question. We had no budget, and I was not given a budget by our elders to initially launch the internship. So I had to be creative, and I just I, – I, uh, by the way, I also had no candidates in mind as <laughs> to who could be an intern. So uh, it was really kind of abstract, but I just started praying, mm-hmm. and the Lord brought this young man who had graduated high school – He was kind of in between whether or not he was going to go to the military, and he had some extra time on his hands. He had about two hours on Tuesday and about two hours on Thursday in the afternoons. So we began meeting during that time. 
I asked him if he would formally become an intern, and he agreed to do that. And we continued to meet during those times. I just gave him resources to use that I found useful that belonged to me. And he just borrowed them gotcha. and gave them back. And we went through books together. We prayed together. We got him involved in different ministry opportunities and teaching opportunities. We had him before the church a lot. He led services. He was already on the worship team, so he was already up front, and that was a natural fit. He had a role in our members' meetings. And that internship, that first one, actually culminated with him preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning and doing a big project that was helpful to the, to the whole church. And so out of that was born our, our first internship program. And from there, it's just kind of developed. So we've now had, I guess, four interns. And through the course of kind of figuring out what it best serves these guys and eventually getting some finances, because, by the way, the church saw the value of this internship program, and they were happy to provide some budget in time. And so we've been able to refine it and fine-tune, and it's, I think, grown a lot uh, to be a really healthy and robust program since that first time. Well, that's really sweet and, and actually quite providential as well. You mentioned that he was in your church already, right? He already was. In, already in the, so what about if you're looking around in your church and you might have a church of 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, and there's just nobody in the church that you might think would be that perfect candidate for an intern, but you still feel convicted to open this up. And, and you mentioned prayer. That's the first place to start. But yeah. how would how else, what other ways could guys find pastoral interns? Well, let me tell you how our last intern got here. And that last intern is sitting next to you. His name is Josh. Hello. Josh came in, in our eyes prematurely, actually. So we were working with, um, um, I was working with our ministry coordinator at the church. And she and I came up with kind of the next generation of the internship and began to identify what what would we look for in an intern? And we had some pretty specific criteria. And this is one of the things about living in a rural area, Joe, that you and I understand well. People are not attracted to this rural area. I shouldn't say people aren't, but many people are right. not. Uh, yeah. um, I, when guys are in seminary, a lot of times they're thinking of going to a larger context. There aren't many people who are just chomping at the bit to get out into the rural setting. So the kind of guy we were looking for, we just thought this is going to take some serious time to find. We talked about posting, which we have done in the past, on college job boards, on seminary job boards, speaking with leadership at different universities. And we were planning to do that. And then we just said, the first thing we need to do is start to pray. So that night we went our way and, and prayed. And no joke, the next day, Josh called me and asked to get coffee. So the Lord actually answered that prayer immediately, which is not always the way God works, as we know. But in that case, Josh, our next intern, was brought to us the day after we started praying for the Lord to bring an intern. So really what it boils down to is is prayer and God providing, right? It's if. I think probably you could think of interns very similar. You could think of pastoral ministry. You know, in in a way, your 
you're sensing, detecting, exploring whether there is that inward call. But in Josh's case, there definitely was a call from God, and God put him here in this place. So Mm -hmm. prayer and seeking the Lord would be a super gigantic, big, important step when you're looking for an intern. That's right. But for folks listening, you may have somebody in your congregation who you're not thinking about. That happened to me more than once in this process. You may have somebody in another congregation who is in a a setting where maybe that pastor doesn't have the time to do this. So you'd actually be willing to bring in as an intern for a season somebody from another congregation who you're planning to release back to that congregation, and you're just able to serve the other church that way. You may find a connection with the university. We live nowhere near any Christian universities, so the, the thought of somebody just coming in out of there is unlikely for us, but it's still worth putting your feelers out, just as many ways as you can think about it. The important thing is, you know, having the conviction and the willingness to say, I need to be training other guys and, you know, Lord, use me to do that however you see fit. So that's thinking a little bit outside of the box. Somebody else from another local church, right? So there's another reason why we should be building relationships with other pastors and other churches. Absolutely. All right, so what did, what did the program look like when you first got started? Yeah, um, at first, you know, it was just real basic. As I mentioned, we had a couple hours a week. We sat down over books, and some reflection papers were written in response to the books that were being read, and really spent a lot of time just over coffee talking about ministry, uh, going on visitation together to hospitals, walking the intern through why I do what I do in terms of sermon prep, planning, after a meeting that he would sit in, just kind of debriefing and explaining why I handled the meeting the way I did, giving him a real practical eye into what pastoral ministry looks like and building some knowledge. So that's kind of my philosophy on an internship, robust knowledge. And I've heard Mark Dever say before during an internship, which you should check out the Capitol Hill internship program. It's excellent. And we've taken a lot of cues from them. But he's got the philosophy that no other time in your life will you be able to just come in and learn and observe like you can when several months of your life are on pause for this internship. And I agree with that. But I also want to add in the component of giving some practical ministry experience. Some internships don't do that. We've chosen to do that because we want to immediately begin to integrate some of those things that the young men are learning into practice so that it sticks and they can really wrestle with why they're learning what they're learning. That's heavy-duty stuff, real good stuff. More practical sort of an issue, though, is how many hours a week are we talking about? Is it something that's fluid or is it something that's set in stone? Well, now it's, it's a little more rigid than what it was in the early days. The early days of the internship was just, I'm going to give the young uh, intern whatever time I can. We're going to connect on a flexible schedule, and he could do a lot of the reading and things on his own. Were you, were you the only staff pastor when that started? I was, yeah. So it, it did take a chunk of my time, but I, I just think in terms of impact, I can't think of very many ways that I could make as big of impact as I could by bringing someone in, training them, and launching them out. Whether this person becomes a pastor or not doesn't matter. They're getting tools, knowledge, theology, all kinds of things that they're going to go out and then exponentially 
make more disciples. So this is and kingdom so, and kingdom impact that we're talking about. Yeah, universal and, and church it's just impact. Worth it. You know, in these in these days, I was making the bulletins. I was doing all the music preparation. I was, you know, whatever a classical solo pastor position is, I was doing all of that completely by myself. But I just could not ignore that burden to if I'm really going to make disciples, I need to be calling people alongside. So I tried to make it as easy as possible to fit into my schedule. It was, you know, I'm not trying to do some professional program so that other people can see it and say, Hey, look at that. You know, I, I'm just trying to be obedient to the word and you got to be flexible to make that work. So now it's a little more formal. It's a lot more formal because we're calling guys in from outside more. And, actually asking them to move themselves and their families to our congregation for a season. So we've formalized and got much more rigid hours. We'll have Josh share some of of what that looks like toward the end of this segment. So let me just kind of boil it down in that particular sense for the guys that are out there. You can start small and you can start at five to 10 hours a week, but then it can grow, right? This is what we're talking about. And and to, to the point of where you're at right now. So don't be don't be scared, man. Don't be afraid. If this is something that you have a certain amount of time, a certain amount of budget, and this is what you can do, and you're feeling the conviction to lead another uh, young man into the ministry and to, to to impart the wisdom that God has given to you, you can do it. It's you can do it. So don't think yeah. that it's impossible. Yeah, that's right. You can get started if your budget and your time, you know, your staffing, things like this, increase. Then maybe your internship program can increase if not be happy with the fact that you are just coming alongside and training other men and that's really the point one other quick thought joe is that we have been able to now begin to give our interns a stipend which we initially did not do and i would encourage that because if you can bring a guy in and provide an opportunity where oh we give them housing too Mm-hmm. So you provide an opportunity where they don't have to worry about making a living in addition to study. I think that is optimal. So that's one thing I would encourage if you can get to that point. But that begins with training the congregation of why the internship is so valuable. And and it just really is. So uh, if if you can work to that, fine. If not, do what you can with what you got. So, Josh, you came to Wellsboro Bible Church as an intern. I did. It was a huge blessing. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about that experience and start with sort of our, maybe some of our initial conversations, how we found you, and then what the internship looked like as you walked through it from the intern's perspective? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was in my last semester of my undergraduate, and now I, I went to a secular school. So ministry wasn't necessarily on my, my radar, um, but as I was learning what a, what a healthy church looked like, uh, in school through a, a college group called Disciple Makers. I've mentioned them before. Uh, we were at home. Uh, my parents were looking for a, a church to go to, and they found Wellsboro Bible. And then I was able to attend with them on uh, some breaks and then during the, the winter and then the summer. And I was desiring a discipleship relationship in this area. Um, and I came and I saw how Wellsboro Bible was a healthier church in the region. 
And the way in which uh, you and, and, and Pastor Mike were preaching, it was expositional. So it was going verse by verse uh, through the word of God. And that was really encouraging to me. So I reached out to you. I wanted to grab some coffee with you. And we, we did, which was really sweet. Um, and I just shared for you my, my heart for ministry in, in how I was doing it in college, not looking towards it as a vocation, uh, vocational ministry. Uh, so then time went on. My wife and I were So applying. can I interject real quick, yeah, Josh? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So that just reemphasizes what we were talking about earlier in that you are always looking for guys who the Lord might be calling into ministry. So when you reached out to me, it was very evident to me that this was at least something that you needed to explore. And that's the kind of thing I think as pastors, we always need to have our eyes open to. Yeah. So after that initial meeting, uh, I went back to school after break. We kept in contact over email and phone. And actually, I did a, a separate internship with Disciple Makers and, and Wellsboro Bible was just a huge blessing um, in that as I as I did support raising and looked for prayer support. Um, but then it was our my wife and I's last semester, we were engaged. So we were preparing for our life after college, after our wedding. So, so we graduated in May, we got married in June, and we had yet to have a, a job lined up. I had over 30 applications in. She had had four in interviews that went to two of them went to the final rounds and she was denied both of them. So we really just started to ask, you know, Lord, we're seeking to be faithful in light of your sovereignty. You know, what what's going on? And then it was almost in an instant where he almost reminded me of ministry and how I had been serving. And I was like, man, I wonder if I wonder if that would be a a call to ministry. I didn't know what that looked like. So I reached out to some of my mentors in college. I reached out to you and before my wedding, um, I wanted to grab coffee with you. We ended up unloading a trailer, which was cool. Uh, but I'm <laughs> thankful you're able to fit me in my, in your schedule. I know, I know everything's busy, especially being here for a year. I got that. But, um, another point in disciple discipling, sometimes you just bring people along with whatever <laughs> you're already doing. Yeah, it was, it was really cool too. So I reached out to you and then you mentioned this idea of an internship. And I was like, well, I, I, that would be cool. I didn't really have anything else lined up and it seemed like the Lord was possibly making this a reality. So you said you we were happy, happy to be your backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turned out to be the four plan. So, um, okay, it's true. Yes. Uh, so you said you'd get back to me. So my wife and I were actually on our honeymoon. We were able to take two weeks to um, go on our honeymoon across country. And the start of our second week, you emailed me and said, hey, you know, our elders talked and we would love for you to apply for this internship. And what was really neat was you guys were planning to start the internship of February 2019, this past February. That's and right. This is June of 2018. So seven months in advance, you had the ability and opportunity to move up your plans for the internship because the Lord was making me available. Um, yeah, you became our plan B as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so when, when I got home, the very first business day, that Monday, I did everything I could to apply. I got everything in order, and I emailed Kim, our ministry coordinator. I emailed her my stuff, and that Wednesday, you guys had an elders meeting. You met about me, you talked about me, and then you accepted me for the program. And then that Thursday, I got coffee with you, and we were able to to talk about it. And you were asking me questions about... You know, what books had I been reading? What did my discipleship look like up to that point in relation to this this internship being towards pastoral ministry, raising up men in in pastorate, in in eldership. So so then 
that Friday, my, my wife and I, we accepted the internship and by Tuesday for staff meeting, we were there and the, the internship was originally supposed to last five months. And during that five months, it was definitely structured to learn and take in a lot of information. So I had almost 30 books that you've compiled, you compiled a list, you ordered these books. I had 30 books um, that I needed to read through during the And in this case, we paid for them. You're, yes. You are the first intern whose books we purchased. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was a blessing. Those books are awesome too. I was just doing the math on those 30 books and thinking, hmm, that's a chunk of change. <laughs> that was a chunk of change. Yeah. yeah. But we were, we were prepped for it. Yeah, so it was structured to to just take in a lot of information. You encouraged me, you know, dip my toes, uh, for lack of a better term, in every ministry that was that was being done at the church. So that included Sunday morning setup at five thirty six in the morning with our tech guy Rich. Because we're mobile. Because we're mobile. Yep, we're in a mobile church setting. That included elders meetings that included members meetings that included grounds and oper- like operations when it came to setup and teardown that included different counseling opportunities any weddings or funerals so it was structured to really expose me to what pastor ministry was expose me to the life of a church through a cycle of 5 to 6 months it was meant to confirm in in an internal calling that i had felt towards pastoral ministry externally as the elders, as the church staff, as the membership, as they observed my gifts, they observed how I served with them and alongside them. Um, And then another uh, requirement was to become a a covenant member at Wellsboro Bible Church. And that was the first, this is the first church I've ever um, covenanted with my wife and I. And it was a really sweet process to be a part of that and um, just be taken in um, by the membership and, and be held accountable and encouraged and prayed for and, and loved on. It was really sweet. So why do you think we had that requirement? Well, I would, I would say that anyone, regardless of where they're at in life. And I, even looking back, if I was in college again, I would go to the local church I was attending and asked, asked to be taken into membership because, because I think there's an accountability aspect, but then there's also an encouragement aspect. And, you know, I'm using my gifts to build up the body at Wellsboro. So I think that would include uh, covenant membership and being covenanted and, and being bonded with the people here as I am learning from them and am serving them. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah. We primarily are interested in caring for your soul. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, we want to discover whether or not the Lord would call you into pastoral ministry, and we want to give you some tools that way, but we're not interested in calling people here and just kind of finding some utility for them. We actually genuinely want to care for the souls of those we asked to come. And since we asked you to come, it was only right that we would care for you through covenant, just like we would any other member of the church. So you get to the end of your five months. You've read the books. You didn't mention this, but you've written a lot of papers. I was just about to. I was just about to touch that. Just the caveat. Okay, that go real quick. go ahead. So TJ, in an encouragement to me, and part of the internship, I was required to write a a page reflection, and it had to be a page. This was very specific. A page reflection on each book I read. And it's a reflection about what I thought about it. What did I agree with? What did I disagree with? What in, in what way was this changing the way I would think about different things? So there were counseling books, there were theology books, there were church books. And the reason for that was if there was ever an opportunity for me to candidate 
in in a for a pastoral position, I would be able to say I have served at without possibly having an MDiv or or any formal training. I could say I have this formal training from a healthy church. Here is what I learned, and I would be able to present this to a a candidate committee, saying, "This is what I learned. This is what I did in these five months. I read these books. I reflected on these things. This is the way I served." And and it was helping me also in sermon prep. So when you're when you're expositing a passage of scripture, and you don't want to keep, you know, you don't want to oversay and and go on rabbit trails. You need to be succinct, and you need to be able to to boil down a difficult topic in in a succinct way. So when I take a 400-page book on baptism and you tell me to write a page reflection on it, it's daunting, but it's helpful because it really helps me condense my thoughts and really understand something like baptism. So so be honest with me. We've never had this conversation before, but the first few times we sat down and we went over your papers, how did you feel about the responses you received? They were difficult. So I have a I have a history degree, and I was trained in a very specific way to write academically. And for these papers, you were looking for a very different writing style, not less yeah, not, professional. Yeah, not boring. Yeah, not ah, le- ah, and it wasn't ah. less professional. It was it was a different kind of of professional, and so it's challenging to not be retrained, but learn another way. So I, I still know how to write as a historian, but I also, I think I'm, am learning in how to write. Not boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. You did, you did great. I thoroughly enjoyed reading those papers. They were some of the, for me as, and this is to any pastor who's thinking about doing this, um, that I was refined and sharpened as I had to think through not only what do I think about this book, but how do I help clear up things that other people think about this book or challenge or maybe even grow myself uh, through someone else's reflections. One, one experience I can share about one of these reflections was on the book humility by CJ Mahaney. And it's about really just exposing the sin of pride and showing how the Lord, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in my paper, I wrote more often than not, I contend for God's throne. And when, and you, and you, you wrote in your response to my reflection, you said, if that's true, that's not good. I understand. And you're like, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that you may struggle with pride. Say it that way. Don't say, don't, don't lavish us with these words because what you're saying there is dangerous and it's not good. And you helped me really see how important my words are and how specific they need to be just like James two really talks about the idea that the tongue, you know, it needs to be bridled. It's like a small rudder that steers the ship. It's like a small bridle that steers this giant horse. And, and it's not only speaking your, with your tongue, it's also writing with your tongue. So that was, really so, helpful. you know, you know what I knew? I knew that when you were reading the book on humility, I could say whatever I wanted to you <laughs> and you would have to respond very humbly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Take, take advantages when they come. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. So you, you do the, the reading, you do the papers, you get involved in service, um, five months ends and then you go on your merry way. Wrong. That's what was supposed to happen. That was what was supposed to happen. However, the way in which the internship worked out, we would have been done in November 
and the church offered for us to stay another two months and serve until January 1st, where our intention was to go on to seminary. At that point, I had served, and the church, the elders, the staff, they had confirmed what I had felt as an internal call to ministry. And after serving here, I don't know what else I would want to do. This has been such a blessing to serve the Lord in the church. And really, the internship refined, I think, my ecclesiology, my my theology of the church, and really the, the beauty of the church and how the Lord intends to use the church to display His manifold wisdom is such a sweet thing. So we were supposed to stay until January, but then that got changed as well. <laughs> yeah. So, Sorry about that. So you came to me in, I think it was November, late November, after we had already decided to stay until January, I had already visited seminaries and I was, I think, accepted at both of them. And I was discerning, okay, which seminary are we going to in January? And then you presented me with the opportunity to stay until next July. So we would serve for another six to seven months in the church be able to see the whole cycle of the life of a church in a year, be able to experience Christmas, uh, Easter, be able to experience the summer months, um, different missional communities, what we call them, our small groups, our discipleship groups. Um, so that really put my wife and I in a, man, what what's the Lord doing here? So uh, we ended up praying about it and we accepted and we were really excited to continue to serve. And the second part of the internship was meant to be not so much technical and learning, but a lot more experiential. So I would take part in counseling training, um, going through different video series through ICBD, which I think is now, uh, what is it called? Not ICBD, it's... IBCD is the same, but uh, NANC is ACBC. Ah, yeah, okay. So so Christian counseling through them, um, and then I would also be um, taking notes and writing reflections on that. I was given um, some case studies to answer. I've gone through one or two of them already in light of the the training I've been getting. Uh, my opportunities to preach both at Wellsboro Bible and at other sister churches would increase. Um, I'm actually preaching this Sunday at WBC. I'm excited and looking forward to going through the word with my brothers and sisters. Um, so are we. Um, opportunities to, yeah, uh, experience any any other weddings or funerals that were going on? What else? What am I missing? I don't think I'm missing anything else. It was just meant to be a lot more experiential, uh, hands-on yeah. training more than it was book learning. So while and, continuing and less, book learning, so less hands-on for me, and more hands-on with you actually getting plugged into the life of the church. Yeah, and and uh, we call it internship 2.0. Yep, yep, and it's been great. So and just for our listeners, just a little bit of behind the scenes. After pouring so much time into Josh and then seeing Josh really flourish, the elders met and just actually came to me and said, we don't want to let him go. And that's uh, normally we I, I want to say that because that's not normative. We do tell our interns, and I'm sure we told you in the process, there is no expectation that you would get hired at the end of this. Yeah. Oh, um, no. This is, nope. This is just an internship. And we want to release assets back into the world. We don't want to collect assets. So we want, we mean to train guys and send them back out. But we had a, a very specific need that it seemed like the Lord was just calling you to meet. And uh, in this case, it just worked out that it was appropriate to actually bring you on staff. And we're thankful that you responded that you would come. 
yeah, it's a blessing. My wife and I are excited to serve in the role of pastoral assistant. And, and I do still have the opportunity, by God's grace, to go to seminary. It's just online. And I am really excited to serve continually in a local church context while getting my degree. It's it's really, I feel like, getting the best of both worlds academically and being able to serve hands-on through the life of a church in, in four, five, six years. Do you feel like since both you and I are attending school there, they should be sponsoring this podcast? Uh, yes. Yes. All right. We should that, definitely reach you out work to on that. Jared C. Wilson. and, and so You let Jared C. Wilson know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. So, Joe, I know this is something that you and I have been talking about. You're interested in doing this. Where are you at in the process? Hey, I've talked to the elders. I've explained it. We've actually seen the value of discipleship up close and personal in when we've been discipling people in our church. And they realize that discipling another pastor or minister could be super, super valuable. Uh, the congregation is bought into it as well. And we are just beginning to pray for the right man to to come along. And we're just starting to advertise as well. So we haven't just started. We've done some of the hard work, the, the prayer and the getting everybody on board. So we are at the next stage of actively seeking and praying for a pastoral intern. Are you excited? I am. I'm excited. I'm, I'm a little scared, but yeah. I'm, I am very excited for that. And knowing that I have you right next door, too, that uh, if I do run into any problems or, or trouble or questions, I can give you a call. Or I can talk to Josh, too, because he's been right there. He's given me lots of insight, too. That's true. Yeah, so it's an investment. I can't think of any investment that doesn't come with sacrifice. You're ready for that, and it's it's worth it. It will just pay dividends. Brothers, I hope that this has been useful for you as you consider how you train other men. It is our role as a pastor not just to preach, not just to show up on Sunday morning, not just to counsel, but to help other people who may be called to do the same thing understand or discern that calling and then see some practical ways that they could get involved and be a pastor like you've been called to be a pastor. I hope that you take some steps in that direction. And because I said some steps in that direction, that means it's time to turn to our Inbox. All right, guys, today we have a question from Andy, and he is from PA, very general area, PA. PA. He asks, why, wait, why does Pennsylvania get to use PA? No uh, other state does. You know, you don't say, I'm going to head over to NY when you go to the mall, do you, Josh? Uh, probably because we're from here, I guess. I've actually I wondered know. the same question. It's probably because yeah. we're from here. Like when I lived in Florida, no one was like, hey, I'm from FL. FL. They go over to OH. PA's hey, just got anyway. a nice ring to it, I think. Pressing on. All right. So Andy, he asks, hey, guys, often it seems pastors come and go quickly in rural churches. As an elder who has seen a number of paid pastors move on, I'm wondering how rural churches can do a better job retaining their pastors. All right, TJ, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You kick us off. All right. I, the biggest one for me, the very first thing that I thought of was so many small rural churches don't like to change. And they don't like to follow their pastors or be led. So often pastors kind of have to fit into what they want. And yeah, and what's what's challenging about that is a lot of times when they call a new pastor, they call with the idea 
or at least they present the idea that we do want someone to lead us through change. Yeah. And we want you to bring new people and young people and we want to grow. Uh, Well, lots of churches say that out loud, but it's actually an attitude of the heart to really desire to want to be spiritually transformed, to grow in your faith, to be evangelistic and disciple. Because so often in smaller churches, Nobody there, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people have been intentionally discipled. So it is plowing some new ground and this whole idea of spiritual transformation and growth and maturity. And if, and I'm telling you, if your church is not willing to grow and to follow the shepherd, then that pastor is not going to last very long. It makes them tired. It's, it's a wearisome task. It is exhausting to be a shepherd with sheep that scatter. We should have looked this up, but I know the statistics of pastoral transition are significant. So it's something like three years is the average pastor at these days. Don't quote me on it. Google it yourself. How long but, have you been pastor here? You've been here six years, five years, seven years? Yeah, it will be um, seven years in December. Noise. Yeah, it's it's been a blessing. And the congregation has been faithful to do what you said, and I'm sure that's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. They've been willing to follow not just my lead but the lead of the elders which would include my leadership and um it's it's been encouraging to my soul to see people growing in the lord and putting up with even some mistakes we've made all right one other one other thing i'm going to jump in here you know how much i got paid my first year of being a bivocational pastor that's when you were up in the six figures right (laughs) it started with a six (laughs) <laughs> got it 600 bucks a month to be a Whoa. part-time pastor yeah that's, and that's tough and, and as bivocational and i know that there's a lot of you out there that wish that you got 600 dollars a month and you might just be getting the use of a parsonage or you might just be getting something like this by golly you might just be volunteering mm. okay yeah. so no wonder somebody's going to move on men can't support their families like that yeah if you're young and you have a family it, it sometimes seems really noble to take a pastorate where you're not getting paid, you're not getting paid much, but then it turns into something that's really not realistic to, yeah. to sustain. Reality sets in. Bills set in. Children come. Yeah, and so I'll just springboard off that, Joe, and say one thing that you can do to retain your pastor and really just bless him because you love him is to pay him or compensate him in such a way that he's not worried so much about finances. Right. We all need to be worried about that stewardship responsibility. And good stewards. That's right. But it shouldn't be the predominant thought in his mind is just how do I make ends meet? and Do I need to get another job? And just real quick anecdote, when I first came here, the church wasn't able to pay a competitive wage. And... I shared with the elders and the deacons at that time uh, some of the struggles associated with that for my family and I, and I was not seeking some huge boost in pay. I was just seeking their counsel in what we should do, and they said, let's bring this to the congregation and maybe do some teaching on why it's important to pay a pastor enough that he can survive in the community he's called to. And thankfully, and, and by God's grace, they were willing to support us in a more significant way. Amen. Is that, is that kind of similar to what happened to you? Similar, very, very close. I was doing quite well in the secular world from being here in, in the area that mm-hmm. we live in. 
And well, you're a great salesman. You sold me. <laughs> everything worked together providentially. But one of the things that we were going to do, we were going to wait for me to go full time and leave my other job when the church was able to pay me what I was making at my secular job. Mm. If that makes awesome. sense. Yeah. I guess it was more for me, it was more of a safety net because not bragging, but bivocational pastors were going to put in 30 or 40 or 50 hours at the church at the same time they're putting in 40 hours in their secular job. And it was, it was leaving that safety net behind. So when the church was able to, to, to pay me what I was able to make in my secular work, but we had also built up the buffer too in our general savings to, if everything went to pieces, they'd still be able to cover my salary for six months. Mm. Yeah, that's significant too. So here's here's the point of this. Different churches are going to be able to respond to this differently. But I think it's a good thing to talk about the fact that your church is paying someone to be set aside from normal work life, to study the word, to shepherd, to lead, to exhort, to really devote themselves to the word and prayer, as you see elders devoted to in in the book of Acts. And that's good for your soul. I mean, you benefit not just in this life, but eternally through the work that the pastor is putting in. I say that not to elevate what a pastor does, but to show the importance in saying it's good for your own soul if you can support your pastor in such a way that he can do that comfortably and bless you as as a response. Amen. I would agree. A hundred, hundred percent. So another thing that I, I thought through is just actually talking to the pastor and encouraging him to stay. I think sometimes you can get the idea in your mind if you come to a rural setting that it's kind of a stepping stone. So I'm fresh out of seminary. I, I want to go on to this bigger whatever that I read about in all these books. But for a season, I got to get some experience and I got to go out to the countryside or to the rural landscape to do that. And as a, as a body, maybe even in your interviewing process, talk to the brother about the fact that that God calls men to the rural landscape because there are Christians there who need shepherding. It's it's not a stepping stone or you know a lesser charge. This is a, a calling that is just as important as any other calling. And I think sometimes it would be helpful for an elder like Andy who's writing to to say to these brothers, hey, this is this is a ministry that you may be called to for a lifetime. Are you okay with that? And let me encourage you to stay for a long time. Uh, I think it's Martin Luther's Galatians commentary. He talks about being a pastor, and, and he sort of uses the metaphor of turning a screw. And he said, I, all my life, I'm, I'm just turning the same screw. <laughs> and he was happy for that. And then he recognized, too, that the next pastor could come in and back that screw out in a day. Yeah. But, you know, it's just this idea of, of devoting yourself to, to a, for a long time to a certain body. If, if you are an elder or if you are a deacon or if you are in ministry or if you in a smaller church in the rural setting, hold up your pastor's arms. It can get really, really lonely there. Build relationships. Understand that he, his desire is to love you and to serve you, and your desire is to, to love him and to follow him. And so build up those relationships. It can hurt. Being pastor, there's things that that hurt. So so be there for him. Build a relationship with him and with his family to care for them and to love them as your shepherds. 
And that's part of God's wisdom in designing a church to be led by a plurality of leaders. Yeah, well, that elders. You know, I, I think, and you think, the same way that they should be called elders, just mm-hmm. because the Bible uses that language. But if they're not, it's the same principle, I hope, in your leadership structure where you have qualified men who have come alongside you and there's a plurality in leadership. That takes the sting out of a lot of the difficult things you walk through as a pastor. Yeah, stand shoulder you're not to shoulder. Alone. Yeah, standing yeah. shoulder to so, shoulder with him. Yeah, that's great. There are many days where I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have a group of brothers alongside me. It just could have been very discouraging. So, yeah, support him and uh, see him as one of you. He's not, you know, a pastor coming in from the outside is not an outsider once you've called him. He he is he's one of so maybe you've been in the church 30 years or or more and you've been an elder for a long time and here's this new guy who's come in just understand that he is he is one with you the lord intends for him to be um an interdependent leader on that team with as much value and uh insight and biblical wisdom as as you have for that congregation so support him that way as well don't make him feel like he's got to earn the right to be one of you as an elder there uh, one other point to that, I I can't end this without mentioning, is the love of the congregation. And I have felt that deeply, and my wife has as well, which is part of what's made it so sweet for us to be here. And that is that the congregation genuinely cares for us. So it's <laughs> not like we're these, you know, leaders at the top. You know, there's these books about leadership being lonely at the top and we don't have that sense. We're, we're actually part of the body as well. And the congregation has loved us well. And it makes us feel like, well, we wouldn't want to go anywhere else. We're happy to be here with right. these people. We're committed you en- to following Christ. Together. You enjoy it. You don't want to leave. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That, that's critical. And you know, if the Lord calls us on somewhere else, that's, that's fine, but we're happy to be here and, you know, have no desire for that to happen. That said, Joe, what happens if the Lord does call you somewhere else? Well, then at that point, you as a congregation understand that it's God calling him to somewhere else, and this is something in God's plan. So uh, sending him out with blessings, sending him out with thanksgiving, and and also at the same time looking forward to the next godly man that the Lord would bring. It, it does not have to be a point of contention or bad blood. Uh, we mm. are kingdom-minded. Well, that was the inbox. Hey, we would love to hear from some more of you. If you would be willing to submit a question, we would be willing to answer it, even if it's a tough one. So write to us. Josh, where can they do that? Well, they can do that at ruralpastorstalk, with an S, at gmail.com. That's ruralpastorstalk at gmail.com. They can look us up at Facebook. They can tweet at us, at ruralpastors. And they can visit us at our website, uh, ruralpastorstalk.buzzsprout.com. You know what else they can do? They can call us. They, well, <laughs> how are they going to call us? Well, uh, I'm. they may or may not have access to the church phone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can call Lydia. Yes, at, you can call my lovely wife. 570-724-3741. Good job. I'm sure no one will ever do that, but thank you for making that available. Yep. And they also can tell their friends about us. Sometimes it feels weird to make a plug for sharing something like this. And I want to just say we're not doing this because we're fame seekers. We understand that rural ministry is hard. And we know that there are a lot of pastors, just like there are in our area, 
in your area too who could use some encouragement and some connection. And we'd like to see the community grow. So serve this community of rural pastors well by sharing this. And then you can serve us well with an honest five-star review. <laughs> Honestly, five stars Honestly. only. Thank you for uh, supporting us that way and for sharing this. If you could just think of one other pastor to share this with, that would bless us and hopefully be a blessing to him and the greater rural pastors community. Joe. DJ. I know I'm all the way in Canada. Uh-huh. But I can tell Josh has got that look in his eyes. He can't He's wait for his favorite part of the show. And that is? That is our top two. two. All right, TJ. So your your ministry top two. What's your what's your what's your ministry thing for this week? All right. So I have an app on my phone that I seasonally pay attention to. Sometimes I get away from it and other times I spend a lot of time on it. It's not Angry Birds. It's <laughs> not Facebook because I deleted that. It is not my text messages. You know what it is? What is it, TJ? It is the Fighter versus app. And it is probably for me the most useful tool that I have found for memorizing scripture. It it has um, several different ways for you to remember scripture. One of them that's been really powerful for me is being set to music. So there are a number of verses that are set set to music. It's not music that you're just going to listen to in the background. It's um, music that you're going to try to get in your head just so you get the tune down. Um, funny thing is, on the way to Canada, Katie and I were in the car, and we were listening to Spotify on the way up. And I don't know what brought it into my mind, but I thought about this band that we listened to when we first got married called Paul Coleman Trio. You guys remember them? Either of you? No. Josh, you nope. were like six six years old, probably. Yep. yep. Um, and Joe, you were still listening to ACDC in those days. So, um, it's it's um, just a, a Christian band. Somebody gave us a CD when we first got married. And I remember in our little apartment, we used to listen to it all the time. And so I just played that, and it was crazy. Katie and I could sing every word of every song, and it's been at least at least 13 years, maybe even as many as 14 or 15 since we've listened to it. It's amazing the power of hearing a, a lyric set to music. It just sticks in your memory. Hmm. And so Fighter Verses has a number of, of scriptures set to music that you can listen to, and hopefully they get stuck in your memory. They also have quizzes you can take. So like maybe it'll drop out every other word and you have to fill them in. And then you can decrease it so it drops out all the words and you fill them all in. And those are the, the two tools that I use the most on there. But scripture memory is not easy. I think, honestly, usually just because we don't make it a priority, not because it's actually that hard. But uh, Fighterverse app will help you. So that's mine. What's yours, Joe? All right, I'm going to go with my non-spiritual one right off the bat. But okay. this is, I'm telling you, this is the way to go when you're doing breakfast at church. It's the five-pound bag of Sam's Club Members Mark Buttermilk Pancake Mix. Mm. Top notch. It's great. So, did you have a food pick last week, or did we just happen to talk about avocado toast? I think we just happened, just to, happened talk to talk about, about it. Avocado just happened to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I like that you have food picks. It's, you don't. 
I don't think you know that I'm going to do a food pick too, but I am. I don't mess around when it comes to the food. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the pancakes? They're good, and you get them for cheap, and there's a whole lot of it. And when you're trying to feed about 20 people breakfast, a five-pound bag of pancakes goes a long way. And get it from Sam's Club, Members Mark. Buy them twice a month and stock up. You're ready to go. Nice. I wonder how long it would take my four children. I bet that's like two breakfasts. (laughs) (laughs) Tall stacks of syrup, or do you like Aunt Jemima? Oh, we have, we do both. Come on, man. We don't mess around. We have a bottle of Aunt Jemima, and then we also have some Pennsylvania pure okay. maple syrup. Mm-mm, tasty. Now, do you ever mix them together? What? No. That's sacrilege. You know they, I was just going to say that's touch. heretical. They would. Yeah. You mean they, they repel each other like opposite ends of a magnet. <laughs> My random pick is sort of food, I guess. Now, I'm ready. I'm prepared for the onslaught of being made fun of by you guys, but I like, you know, I like my, um, swamp water, my, (laughs) my mate. Yes, 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 yes. Well, this is another beverage and it's a treat for me. It's like a dessert beverage and I only get it when I have enough stars on my rewards card to get it for free. It is the matcha green latte at Starbucks and it's, it smells like fresh cut grass. And what it does it taste like? Kinda like like what you would hope the smell of fresh green fresh cut grass would be like. It's a little sweet. It's got steamed milk or whatever they do for a latte in there, but it's made with matcha green tea. And I stumbled onto it by accident. There was a time when we were church planting and I asked somebody to pick up a coffee for me before church and I must have told them the wrong thing and they brought me this grass latte and at first i didn't like it but somehow it just drew me back and i love it now it's it's really good so if you've not tried that the matcha green tea latte get it whenever you have enough points to get a free drink it is worth it you'll like it so i will say that i have had said matcha tea and i cannot drink it a lot but when i have had it it's tasted pretty good so i won't i won't tease you i'll i'll encourage the listeners drink it Oh, wow. I feel so loved and supported. That's great. You must have been listening to the early part of the podcast, the email. Yes. Good. So, Joe, how about your spiritual top two? I'm having I've, – I've got it right here, but I'm having a brain freeze. You guys will be able to help me out. It's Paul David Trip, right? Or is it David Paul Trip? Paul no, David. Paul David. Paul David. Okay. PDT. PDT. All right. My spiritual top two is – Something else that's going on to our resource table, and it is a series of small booklets from the uh, Resources for Changing Lives. You know, they're written by Ed Welch or David Paulson or Paul David. Do you David. have a subscription? I do not. You can get a subscription okay. for that? Wow, yeah, that's really cool. And they, if you, I don't know if they still do it. When we subscribed, we got a free rack to put them out on. With it. No way, I want to do yeah. that. We actually, it's worth checking into if they go a lot. You know, if a lot of people are aware of them and take them, subscription <laughs> might be worth it. So but proceed. Bro, yeah, they, just fantastic little booklets to be able to help people. Now, it's not a magic bullet. If somebody comes to you and says, "I'm really dealing with a depression," you don't just hand them a book that says depression and send them on their way, right? There is counseling that goes along with this, but. There is books about depression. In our church, we have a number of folks that are 50 or 60 or even 70 years old, and one of the things that they deal with is adult children 
who not only don't come to church, but who appear to have no faith whatsoever. So, the, And there's a book called Prodigal Children, and, mm. and to give insight there, there's books about homosexuality, there's books about stress, there's books about being exhausted. It, almost any uh, thing that you can think of when it comes to counseling, uh, this book series will be able to provide you at least some nuggets of wisdom. And we have... We have about a dozen of them on our resource table with more on the way. So I would really encourage you to check out resources for changing lives to get some of those on your resource table or at least put them in your library to be able to hand out to folks or to check out yourself. Joe, just if I can jump on that real quick for our rural guys, I'm sure this is prevalent everywhere, but in our community, cutting has been. Oh my gosh, yes. And I honestly wasn't really sure how to tackle that and i talked to some other counselors and somebody recommended the little booklet on self-harm yep and i found that to be really really helpful to give me some insight on not only how to help someone but why someone would actually be doing that Mm -hmm. a lot of times we can't understand why somebody does that so that doesn't give us a touchstone to be able to reach into their life but but yeah and sometimes when you try to counsel them they report that your counsel drove them to cut more yeah, and that's not what you want. And those types of things are addressed in, in this little booklet. So I would recommend those as well. Again, good stuff. Great. Well guys, it's been fun. Eh? Hey, Hey, go catch some Northern Pike and some walleye and some bass. Yeah, I'm going to head back out on holiday here and (laughs) it's the sun is shining. It's probably 68 ish, which is maybe 15 degrees cooler than my optimal temperature but oh, that's perfect. i'm not complaining that's and perfect. i'm gonna go sit out and watch my kids throw their fishing lures into the trees <laughs> dude i really appreciate you calling in from your vacation to talk to us and to talk to the guys and the gals that are out there thank you man well thank you for tuning into this edition of rural pastors talk we are so thankful for you uh just a reminder of the conference coming up in wellsboro it's a nine marks workshop It will be held September 20th and 21st. You can register online at wellsboroughbible.com slash conference. We've seen some registrations coming in through the podcast, so thank you if you are one of them. And uh, if you're in our area, we'd love for you to come to the best conference in Wellsboro at that time in 2019. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye. Take care. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Rural Pastors Talk. Hey, by the way, if you'd like to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. Rural Pastors Talk at gmail.com.